Psalm 46 is um, a psalm that the people of God have clung to for 3,000 years, uh, roughly. Uh, not quite sure when it was written, but it was definitely written a long time ago. Uh, and this month is known as Reformation Month because on October 31st, Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the Wittenberg Cathedral door. Uh, not it, today we like to think that he went up there and he had you know this anger in his face and this big old Thor-like hammer and was like, boom, boom. The door was just where you posted things to discuss in the university. Uh, and so Martin had written down 95 real concerns he had about the Roman church at that time the church in Europe that controlled all Christianity. And, and he had a great concern about the direction they had gone in teaching that salvation uh, could actually be earned by buying indulgences or by doing good works. And as he continued to look at the scriptures and that it was taught that the just shall live by faith alone, he was like, the church has gone astray here. So we, we need to get it back in line with what the scriptures teach. And so thus began the Protestant Reformation. Uh, of course, there were a lot of things for a hundred plus years that were being worked on by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, you know, there were people like a hundred years before Luther, like John Hughes, um, who was preaching scripture alone and faith alone. And he was burned at the stake for such a thing. In fact, right before his death, he said, you burn this goose, because Hughes and the Czech language is goose. He's like, you burn this goose, a hundred years from now, a swan will come and will bring forth, you know, the, what the Bible really teaches. And a lot of people believe that was, it wasn't like a true prophecy, but Martin Luther rose up. Hughes saw that at some point, there's going to have to be a reckoning with this church that has gone so corrupt. Uh, and so really, we're now 506 years post-Reformation and the Lord used, uh, used it in a mighty way. In fact, this church is here today because the, of this great revival that we call the Reformation that happened that brought us back to, as we often say, those five tenets of the Reformation, the five solas of the Reformation, that one is made right with God uh, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. How do we know these things? The Scripture alone is, is our authority on all godliness and salvation and how to live as a Christian. And what is the Christian life all about? It is to live for the glory of God alone, not for the glory of a church, not to, for the glory of people, but for the glory of God who deserves all glory. And thus began great reformation. Thank you for that amen. I, I agree. I get fired up when I read these things. But let's be honest, the Reformation, as, as thankful as we are for it, it was not easy. I, I sometimes have tried to put myself in the shoes of Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, and I marvel at, at what they did. At that time, to speak out against a church, you could face certain death. It was okay. In fact, it was written into the civil law that all who were declared heretics by the church were to be killed, corporal punishment for all heresy. And so these guys, as they stood up and like, hey, the Bible teaches this, but the church is teaching this. We're going to go what the Bible says here. They were, it was such, there was a lot of bravery there. But you can imagine as an individual how challenging that must have been. Luther, uh, for 10 years, from 1517 on into the late uh, 20s, the late 1520s, uh, he was in all sorts of theological turmoil. There were threats on his life. 
Um, not only that, there were wars that broke out. The, the peasant war broke out because everyone's like, yeah, let's revolt against all authority. And Luther's like, no, 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 don't go killing everybody. That's not what we should be doing. Then on top of that, the Black Plague is spreading again and his son almost dies from it. It said that within that 10-year period, Luther was absolutely exhausted, exhausted. And in the midst of this, he turned to Psalm 46, and it really became his psalm. This is what the Lord used to minister to him. And as he meditated on it often, he wrote, Ein Feistburg ist ungut. No, I don't speak German, but that was my best interpretation. You may know it as a mighty fortress is my God. And it was rooted in Psalm 46. Now, it's not a verse by verse um, you know, song set to you know, the words of Psalm 46, but it is inspired by what Psalm 46 says. And Luther writes this. He says, We sing this psalm to the praise of God because He is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends His church and His word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. So let's just take a moment and read Psalm 46. And then I want us to just meditate on this great psalm, a psalm that we definitely need today here in Ridgecrest in 2023. Psalm 46 begins like this. And you can even hear Martin Luther's words, a mighty fortress is our God, how they were inspired by this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when dawn, morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's go to our great God. Oh, Heavenly Father, what words are these that we have just read? But your very own words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the sons of Korah some 3,000 years ago. Oh Lord, we know the name of Korah has great shame because he challenged you. 
there in the wilderness with Moses and the children of Israel. And you brought him to sudden death. But it said that his sons, his descendants saw this and saw the horror of standing against a holy God. And even here in this great psalm, they write, under inspiration of your Holy Spirit, words of truth, words of hope, words of strength that your people have clung to for thousands of years because you speak to us, you remind us of who you are and how we can put our hope in you alone. So Lord, speak once again through your word today. Be glorified in our midst today. Lord, help us to be humble before you today. And it's in Jesus' mighty name, our great refuge, we pray. Amen. Boy, reading through it again, I'm just, I'm moved. <laughs> what a powerful psalm. And brothers and sisters, do we not need this reminder today? Just go open up a newspaper right now. Wars in the Middle East, China sending naval uh, vessels into the Mediterranean, along with the American naval vessels, along with the Russian naval vessels, along with the great war that is happening already here in the Middle East. That's not, only, that's not even a fraction of the troubles that we see in the world today. There's a war in Europe right now, raging. Seems like there's no end there. And then there's the quiet wars that nobody talks about because there's no real political or collateral interest in the sense that there's no oil or technology involved. I think of Myanmar right now that's been in a great civil war for two and a half years. And their government is targeting Christians and targeting minority groups. We know our church supports a missionary who has a little refuge there in the midst of this horrible war. And I keep waiting every day to hear the news that they're gone. And yet God has spared this orphanage. It was only a hundred or so kids, and now it's hundreds and hundreds of kids whose parents have been killed in this war that probably none of you have even thought about. Week in and week out, we get these reports of just the bombs are starting again. They're dropping the big ones again. They're only a few feet away from the compound. Please pray for us. And we have been praying for them. Oh, Lord, what can we do? You be the refuge. We can't rescue them. Only you can, and he, and he has. And I, I share that with you because we can look at this world and become so troubled, so overwhelmed, and not only looking at the world, but we can look at our own lives, right? Our own struggles with sin, our own relationship issues, our troubles at work. Week in and week out, we can be so overwhelmed when we look out at this fallen world and what we see and yet this psalm is written as a reminder, almost maybe even as a rebuke. Oh, Christian, what are you doing? Looking at the waves, looking at the wind all around you like Peter did when he was walking on the water and got overwhelmed and began to sink. What do we need to do? Right there in the very first verse, we are reminded God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. And we are in a time of need. Every single second of our lives, we are in utter dependency upon him. And it's only when we turn our eyes, if you will, as the old hymn goes, to Jesus, turn our eyes to our great God, that we will find the refuge, the strength, the hope that we need to live each day for his glory. As we look at this psalm and as we just read through it, you'll notice that there's 
pretty much three stanzas. This is great poetry. It was sung at some point. I wish we knew how the tune was, but it's broken up into three sections, three stanzas, if you will. And in each one of these, there's a scenario given of trouble in the world, of a, of a situation that is really overwhelming for human beings. And yet, each section reminds us of the benefit of being in God's presence. In fact, there's three benefits that we are presented here. In, verse, uh, in stanza one, which is verses one through, re, uh, one through three, we see that the, one of the benefits of being in God's presence is that he gives us strength. Another, the next stanza talks about the benefit of gladness being in his presence. And then finally, the last stanza we'll look at, we'll see the benefit of God's presence is that he gives peace to his people. So let's just kind of work through this together. And I pray that the Lord will minister, encourage you, even as he has been encouraging me. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear the psalmist writes. Now we can read this and go, all right, easy enough. God is a strong tower we can run to. He is a fortress that we can hide in. And he's not just present in our troubles. He's very present. He's not aloof. A distant parent sitting on a bench talking to a friend as the kids are on the playground playing. No, he's a very, and it's okay if you've done that. I'm not trying to knock that, but, you know, you have to quickly run and help them if they get in trouble. No, God is present. He's very present. And most of us this morning are going, amen, preach it, Troy. That's the truth. I agree with you. And we're sitting in a very comfortable place with comfortable seats, air conditioning, friendly people all around us. We don't have to worry about secret police knocking through our door or bombs dropping outside in Ridgecrest. There's no militia running in the streets at this moment. So this creative songwriter wants to give us a scenario. Yes, you may say amen, but what if the mountains themselves... Uh, the Sierra Nevada is right there. You're standing right here after church, fellowshipping with people, a little cup in your hand, and you saw them go and fall into the ocean. Would you freak out? I would. I would. Uh, that would be pretty frightening. All my life as a kid growing up in California, I have feared the big one. Little kids, they've been projecting it since I was a little kid. Uh, we're waiting for it. It may happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. And as a kid, I feared it literally California was going to fall into the ocean. That's not going to happen, kids. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, I, I, but the psalmist gives us here this scenario. What if the earth gives way? What if the mountains fall into the ocean? What if all of a sudden the waters roar and they foam up and it just falls apart in front of you? What hope do you have? He gives us a scenario a pretty dramatic one, if you will, of what will you do? Where do you find your security? And don't, don't miss what the psalmist has done here. Mountains for people have always been a sign of strength. Often, as, as an analogy, as a metaphor, the, the scriptures refer to the mountains as mighty. I mean, think about it. Those of you who've grown up in this area, I know they're not many, but some of you who've grown up here, those Sierra Nevadas have always been there i drove the 395 as a kid and they've not changed mount whitney is still there 
Now you might say, yeah, a little bit of erosion. It's just a little bit shorter than it was when I was a little kid 50 years ago. But nevertheless, Mount Whitney is going to be there. You keep heading it north. You're going to come to the Mammoth Mountains. You're going to keep heading north, and nothing changes. The mountains are secure. They're stable. And the psalmist wants us to think about this. Even the very things in this life that we go, you know what? They're sure. We can trust in them. Mountains will always be there as a landmark. The sun is always going to rise tomorrow. The reality is this. There is nothing truly consistent. There's nothing truly eternally trustworthy outside of God himself. We, we, we're reminded of this all the time, right? Of, of natural disasters happening all the time. There were blizzards in the east this past winter that were insane, the floods in the Midwest. And yes, we even had a hurricane here in California. <laughs> I was just reading about Death Valley got its year's worth of rain in two days. There's still water in the basin out there. Natural disasters are all around us. Spurgeon contemplated the reality of God being our refuge and said that the Christians should never forget the our portion of this phrase. This is the great treasure that God is for the Christian. It's not that God is out there and God uh, is in control of things. We can actually call him our God, our refuge. And right now, if you are a Christian, if you're in Christ, that should give you great strength. Spurgeon continues and says this, neither forget the fact that God is our refuge just now in the immediate present, as truly as when these words were written. God alone is our all in all. All other refuge are refuge of lies. All other strength is weakness, for power belongs unto God, but as God is all-sufficient, our defense and our might. And notice with me that it doesn't say that we won't face these great trials and that if you only had enough faith, well, those trials will go away. No, we're reminded right here that we do face real troubles in this lifetime. But God in his mighty attributes, his omnipotence, his sovereignty, his omnipresence, his immutability should give us great hope, great strength of hope in who he is. God is our refuge because he is able to rescue us. And he is even able to rescue us from our worst trial, our worst tragedy, our worst enemy, sin itself. Of course, through his son, he showed us this great power in action. He is all-powerful, he is in control, he is always present, and he never changes. Though Mount Whitney is a tad shorter than, he was, than the mountain was 50 years ago, God is not. God is not somebody who's like a sun that is burning and is slowly getting smaller and smaller over time. He's inexhaustible. As Psalm 145 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the contrite in spirit. He is never in the position of saying, I can't get to you right now. I'm not 
able to be there. He is very present with his people. And though the mountains might collapse, though the seas may rage, though the earth may quake, God is our unchanging constant. This is the comfort in his immutability. We change, sometimes for the better, more often for the worse. As a Christian, though, we have great hope that our change is sanctification by the Spirit and that we are becoming more like Christ. But at the end of the day, the doctrine of God not changing, of Him being the same yesterday, today, and forever, should give us great comfort. As followers of Christ, we can always count on His steadfast love. In fact, we just a moment ago mentioned, uh, talked about Jeremiah. In the midst of one of the greatest calamities humanity has ever seen, the siege of Jerusalem, as God was bringing judgment on his people, justly so. Horrors like you've never, like you won't even want to imagine. And yet, in the midst of that, Jeremiah can write, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And this is why, dear Christian, we should not fear. Now, let's be honest. Fear is a natural instinct. Uh, If we see a rattlesnake, we should have a certain amount of fear to not mess around with it, right? As we were driving up to 395 and I'm getting ready to pass a, a big rig truck, there was a little fear that, okay, it seems like I got enough distance. I don't see any cars. Is that a dip or not? I'm not, oh Lord, help me as I race up ahead of that 395. Fear is a natural thing that actually preserves us. But what do we do when we fear those big things, such as mountains falling into the ocean? Well, Pastor John Calvin, you may have heard of him. He writes this. This Psalm, Psalm 46 is not to be understood as meaning that the minds of the godly are exempt from all cares or fears, as if they were without feeling. For there is a great difference between the inability to feel and the confidence of faith. He only shows that whatever may happen, they are never overwhelmed with terror, but rather gather strength and courage sufficient to alleviate all fear i hope that was helpful for you that was so helpful for me this first stanza of this psalm is not calling us to be a robot without emotions if we had the big one that the one that they've been projecting for decades now and it hit right now and i I hesitate to even have said that because i know you guys had a big one a few years ago here in ridgecrest it would be perfectly natural to look up at the roof to make sure these lights and roof weren't going to fall on us to go outside someplace safe quickly but we need not fear that god has abandoned us we can run to him as our refuge knowing he will care for us for our immediate needs and our spiritual strength for he is our refuge he is our strength He is a very present help in trouble. And so that's the first stanza. He is our present help in trouble. He is our strength and our stability. And now in the next stanza, it begins in verse 4. What do we see? Well, it's a very 
interesting picture painted here for us. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God in the midst of her and gladness. God will help her when morning dawns. Like a movie that all of a sudden changes camera direction. One point we're presented God as a, a mighty fortress. Picture some of those great European castles built into the mountains. They almost look like an extension of the mountains. And the, it, it doesn't matter if they're under siege or not. Nobody can get to them. They seem impenetrable. That's the picture we want to be, that, that we want to have in our minds as human beings. God is strong. He is on the mountain. We can go to him for, for, for refuge. Now the camera changes. It's another scene. You could even hear harp music, perhaps. Ba-ding, ba-ding. A gentle brook rolling down the, you know, a, a river, uh, what do they call it? Babbling down the stream. A comfortable scene. And, a gl- and there's gladness in the midst of this scene here. Surely this metaphor is not lost on us today, especially those of you here in Ridgecrest who like to escape to these beautiful mountains. I know there are streams all throughout them. Uh, one of my favorite memories is visiting Lynn uh, just a couple years after he moved here. And his little Suzuki Samurai drove me up back to his home when he lived in Inyokern, way up in the mountains. Melissa was with me too. And it, all of a sudden we were up in the pines and we saw some mines up there. And then we were by a little brook with aspen trees. And it was cool and it was, it was uh, just so beautiful, so serene, so peaceful. That is what the psalmist wants us to think about here. There's something very pleasant and peaceful as we sit by a brook. There's gladness that comes to our hearts, isn't there? So as this song continues, we think about the influence of God's presence in the life of a believer, even more in the life of God's church, the city of God. The city of God is a reference to Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the temple of God was God's dwelling place on earth. Yes, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere, all at the same time. And yet there was something very special about that temple. But like I said earlier, this is a unique gift that God gives when he draws close to us and he draws so near. In the day of this psalm, there were still many different types and shadows of different rituals and sacrifices that took place in the temple. And you had to go there to draw near to God. Hebrews 11 reminds us that true Israel always drew near to God by faith alone. The Messiah had not yet come, and yet they trusted that full atonement would be made in some way. God would provide a way for that. Psalm 46 still proclaims, though, that there is gladness for those who are in the presence of God, that it flows into the believer and it gives them great strength, even though at that time the law was very heavy on them. In many ways, this is a, a pregnant psalm that points us to the glory that we would see in Christ Jesus and how he would come to this world, how he would keep the law when we could not and how through his mighty work on the cross, he now transforms individuals to be living temples 
of God. I, I ponder that. I, I marvel at that. That each one of us who are in Christ Jesus has the Holy Spirit abiding in us. Now you might think, okay, why this rabbit trail? What are you getting at here? Well, here's, listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus promised that because the Spirit would reside in His people, that living water would flow out of them. John 7, 37 and 38. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water flow from within him. So here we are reading Psalm 46, and we're reminded of the importance of being in the presence of God, and that through God's Spirit, as he abides with the believer in Christ Jesus, there are streams of living water that are flowing out of us. Bringing us joy, bringing us gladness. Like the rock of Horeb that Moses struck with his rod, our hearts of stone were touched by the Spirit and made alive. And so began streams, torrents of living water flowing out of us, producing worship and joy in the Lord. And so we're reminded here in the psalm that God's people have this unique blessing of Him abiding within us. Though we run to Him for refuge, He is within us by the power of the Spirit, by the redemption of Christ. And so gladness resides within us for what He has done, how He has saved us and forgiven us of our sins. And so then we now take another turn. We're reminded of who God is and, and the blessing of, of His presence in the believer's life. And so then the psalmist says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. In the first stanza, we deal with the fallenness of nature, of just the broken world, that there are going to be natural calamities all around us. But God is our refuge. And in this stanza, we see now a reminder of the fallenness of human society. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. Despite all of our advances in technology and medicine and scientific learning, despite thousands of years of, of historical data and education, despite the United Nations and European unions, despite free trade agreements and the World Wide Web, despite all of the luxuries and diversions from sports to movies to the metaverse, all of the human advancements that we have made for thousands and thousands of years, we still rage as people. Psalm 2 reminds us that this rage that these wars, that these calamities, that the murders and the kidnappings and all the horrible crimes we hear about in our own cities, all of these things are because we, as a people, stand against God. That's the reality. And Psalm 82 explains to us, it is because at the heart of who we are as people, we hate God. Now, if you're visiting, that might, you might go, whoa, Man, that's harsh. What do you mean? I can see a disinterest in God, a lack of wanting to follow Him. But the reality is the Bible teaches since the fall of Adam and Eve, mankind naturally is predisposed to say, I want nothing to do with you, God. 
I'll come to you on my own terms. But how dare you tell me how to come to you? And we see very early in the book of Genesis, don't we? Right after the fall, some, some time later, as Cain is so jealous of his brother, of God accepting his worship and not his own, he murders his own brother out of jealousy, out of hatred. He hated God and he hated his brother. And that is the rage that we are talking about here. That is the rage between Israel and Hamas right now. Regardless of how you want to see that, the reality is Israel is a secular nation, is run by human beings, that a majority of them do not embrace Christ as their Messiah. And Hamas on the other side, they hate Jews, they hate Christians, and guess what? They hate God, ultimately. And every single tribal war that you can find on the face of this earth, from Africa to Asia... All over North America, every tribal war is due to, I'm better than you. And you know what? I don't want to follow what God has prescribed to do. I figured out a better way. And that has never brought us to anything good. Isaiah 53 proclaims, every single person on the face of the planet is like a sheep that has gone astray from his good shepherd. And each one to his own way. And each one deserves judgment. The rage is internal and it bubbles outward. That is the difference of a fallen, unregenerate person. What bubbles out of our hearts is like volcanic lava. And yet, out of the heart of the regenerate, out of the heart of the one that God has saved, out of the heart of the one that God has drawn near to, springs forth living water and gladness. You see the difference there? Poisoned water and living water. Sometimes it catches us off guard. We're lulled into thinking that our country or our political system or our constitution is going to guarantee us peace. But as we look at world history, brothers and sisters, we see that there is always a pendulum swinging. Swinging back and forth from totalitarianism to to anarchy. Back and forth. And for the last few hundred years, Western Europe, under the the influence of Christianity, found a somewhat of a balance. Not perfect. Horrible things were done in the name of the Lord. But there was kind of a balance. And yet we're we're seeing it swing. Some are trying to push us towards anarchy. Burn it all down and start over. And others are pushing towards more totalitarian. No, we need to lock it all down and we need to control people so they aren't out of control. How do we find a balance? What do we do? Well, we will never find it in this lifetime. And that's why this psalm reminds us we must look to God. He is our refuge. We must look to God. Only in Him can we find gladness. As verse 5 says, God is in the midst of his people. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I look at the news and I'm stupid because I allow it to overwhelm me at times. And it's right then that the Holy Spirit is, you need to spend more time with me than you do looking at the news. Because the news will bring you nothing but trouble. Are you shocked when you look at the news? We shouldn't be. It should be far worse than it is right now. It is God's uh, common grace that is holding back 
all utter World War III. Now, that could happen this afternoon. And this psalm here is for us, if it does, to cling to it, to tell our neighbors and our brothers and sisters and our families who are lost, listen, you will find no hope, you will find no comfort, you will find no peace in this world, but let me tell you of one who you can. And I have found peace, I have found strength in this God. The mountains may move, the seas may rage, kingdoms may tumble, the nations might rage, but God will help his church because he is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. The gates of hell will not prevail. As Martin Luther said, come, let us sing the psalm together and let the devil do his worst. And what's the worst? I might die. Well, let me tell you, unless the Lord comes back, I'm guaranteed to die. So whether I live boldly for Christ now or I live as a coward and afraid in this world and I die 50 years from now of cancer, what is our hope? Who are we putting our hope in? He is with his precious church, his chosen people. He fills them with gladness and joy. The chorus of this song reminds us of these truths and it once again reminds us of his strength. Who are these nations, the kingdoms before God? When he utters his voice, guess what? The earth melts. When it's all said and done, every kingdom of man will fall. And the Bible promises that every knee will bow. Every president, every king, every prime minister, every peasant every prisoner, everyone will bow his knee. Now some will bow their knee in great worship and others will bow their knee because they know and yet with great resentment. Notice here that another word is used to describe the protection of God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And this word fortress literally is that idea of a fortress upon a hill. God who is with us is our fortress. He is our strength. He is our gladness. So let's move now into the last stanza. Now we come to the last course. In some ways like a, a great song, it's building towards a climax. Verse 8 begins with, uh, turn the page here. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll finish reading that in a bit here. Verses 8 and 9 remind us of God's sovereignty in all of this. When the nations rage, when wars get stirred up, when the earthquake and, and fires burn and hurricanes blow, nothing is out of control for God. The reality is what we see in this world, the natural disasters, the raging of wars, it is all a result of man's sin and God's judgment upon that sin. Now, I'm not saying that 
well, I'm not going to go down that route. But God's people should not be rocked off their foundations. We should not be shocked and wonder where God is. To be sure, we will experience many dark providences that leave us with great questions, right? We all have them as Christians. But what this scripture is teaching us to do is to remember that God is in control. That His sovereign hand brings the follower of Christ peace, knowing that God is in control of things. And though we may have questions now, they all will be answered in one way or the other when it's all said and done. Uh, one of my great questions is, why did my dad die at 72? Now you might think, oh, that's old enough. So my kids were still young. I still would have loved to have seen him as a grandfather now with teenage kids. I miss him every day. And sometimes it creeps into my mind, ah, oh, Lord, why? He could have lived till he's 80. He would have turned 80 this past August. How great would that have been? But I have to stop myself with God's word where it says that every person has an appointed amount of days and that God didn't give him one second more or one second less of what he had already ordained him to live. And when I began to say, okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever you ordain is right. When we start to see and trust that God is not just all-powerful, but He is all-wise and all-good. We learn to trust our Heavenly Father. That's what we're all on this walk, right? We are learning to trust Him. Lord, why, why has this happened? How can you allow this to happen? Why am I experiencing this? They're legitimate questions. The Bible doesn't say we're not going to have these real questions. But we need to be reminded of the fact that God is sovereign. He is in control and he is working for his glory and for our benefit. Time and time again, wars will rage and then wars will come to an end. The destruction is not just humanity warring against itself. It's warring against God and his order. And so the psalmist invites us to Come and behold the works of the Lord. What are the works of the Lord in this stanza? What does he remind us of? The desolation we see throughout time of God's judgment. Over and over, Israel is invited to look back to see what God had already done against their enemies. How he had brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. And that's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. If you're a follower of Christ, he has brought you out of your sinful Egypt. And he's brought you into the, the glorious state of a, a promised land now of where sins have been forgiven and where gladness is, is overbounding. And we have a great promise that we'll come into that final, true promised land when all the world is made new under Christ Jesus. Out of darkness and into light. And we can look at various points in our walk with him and how he has been our refuge and our strength and our gladness. And time and time again, he has asked us to be still and know that he is God. Look at that in verse 10. Just after all that God does, his great works of warring against those who make war in this world and how time and time again he has 
ended wars, but then other wars have broken out. In, in the face of all of this, in verse 10, he says, this is actually God speaking right here. This is the first time we actually hear him directly speak. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In the midst of all of these troubles, God says, be still. It's here that we raise our Ebenezers, if you will, that we pile up our stones of monuments and that we look back and we see how faithful God has been to us up until this point. Why would he not continue to be faithful? He has promised that he will be faithful. I'm sure each one of you, dear Christian, can look back and go, man, the Lord, boy, when he delivered me from sin... I was in a horrible place. And then he provided this church. And then he provided these Christian friends. And then, you know, he gave me his word. And I was never able to read his word before. And now I read it. I just, I love it. And I consume it. It's so precious to me. And then how he delivered me from this trial and this circumstance and this temptation. Time and time again, we can be like the children of Israel. Look back and see how God has delivered us. How he has dealt kindly with us. And so God says, be still and know I am God. Amen. Don't get so overwhelmed with what's happening in the world. Be still. Be in my presence. Know who I am. And brothers and sisters, do we not know? Time and time again when we come back, Often in repentance, Lord, I've allowed myself to get so consumed with the world. And we spend that sweet, precious time with him in his word and in prayer. We know his familiar presence, don't we? I know one day we are, when we are face to face with him without this sinful body that uh, we will all go, man, I remember in the world, in that fallen world, when he drew near to me and I knew he was God and I knew his presence, there were just these little appetizers and I cannot believe that every single second of my life now in this new world, in this eternal, non-fallen world, I get to experience that presence. And we'll never grow tired of it. We'll never grow distracted of it. And I'm convinced that we'll all go, and it was familiar because I knew him. Even though it was veiled, even though I was in this jar of clay, I knew him. And so that first moment I took my breath in eternity, I knew that presence. I knew who he was because he had already revealed himself to me. God is our peace. As it says in Philippians chapter 4, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding is will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Each one of us can remember the time that he's brought us peace in the midst of turmoil. We do live in a fallen world. There's so much rage against God right now. So much rage against creation. Children being told that there's no such thing as men and women sexual confusion to the degree that none of us could ever imagine, city politicians getting arrested with child pornography on their city computers, drag queens reading in libraries, YouTubers that are famous amongst even our young people 
singing questioning songs about gender spectrums with catchy tunes and an administration right now that believes that an eight-year-old can choose to transition into another gender. The confusion, the anxiety all around us, the rage all around us can be overwhelming. I know you feel it. But God wants us to remember none of this is happening outside of His control, outside of His degree. He is not the author of sin. But why do the nations rage? Why do people celebrate brokenness? Why is our nation in such turmoil? The simple answer is that three-letter word, sin. God wants us to behold His mighty works. Look closely at that last stanza. He doesn't just want us to look at the judgment found in the ruins of civilization, the smashed towers of Babylon and the cracked palaces of Rome. He also wants us to be still, to find peace in His glorious truth, in this precious, so true truth. Don't ever forget it. He will be exalted in all of the nations. He will be exalted in all of the earth. And right now there are missionaries everywhere. Every continent who are risking their lives to take the banner of Christ to every tribe and tongue. Why do they go forth? They know that bacterial infections await. They know that lying converts who want to bring them into prison await. They know that the devil himself hates them and the God they serve and will will try to trip them up with every temptation possible. What gives them hope? It's the very promise that God has given us. I will be exalted. It is what you were made for. And some of you will come to it and experience it with the greatest strength and gladness and peace that you will have ever experienced in your life. There are many of us in this room that can say that with confidence. He has been exalted in my life and I don't deserve it, but I worship him for it. It's what we were made for. That's why we're here, to worship God, to glorify God, to enjoy God. We need to be reminded of this. God is not impotent. He is not just a wishful God. He is sovereign and he says he will be exalted and he is calling forth a particular people a people of praise a royal priesthood a brotherhood a sisterhood in christ jesus who he died for and bled for and he rose again he is risen today do you believe it he is seated at his father's right hand right now do you believe it don't be overwhelmed He is a mighty fortress, a bulwark never failing. Come, let us sing the 49th Psalm together and let the devil do his worst because he will be exalted. Let's make time to be in his presence, brothers and sisters. I'm preaching to myself. May he be our refuge and our strength. May may we be filled with his joy and gladness. And may we find peace and hope in Christ alone today.